Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello and welcome to 90 Minutes Definitive European Power Rankings, Episode 6, where we talk about the best teams on the continent. Joining myself, Sean Walsh, this week is not Jack Gallagher. He's away on a stag do. Um, he was quite keen to stress that it was not his own stag do, but someone else's. And so we've brought in the best replacement money can buy, someone who already works at the company. I'm talking about 90 Min fellow writer and editor, Tom Gott. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Sorry, my cat's just moving around me. Doing all twisting and turning then, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's good to have you, mate. You've been on uh, the Talking Transfers podcast before, haven't you? I have indeed, yep. Always get drafted in when there's a lot of Chelsea stuff going on because they need someone <laughs> to be miserable about it. So, so yeah, you are a Chelsea fan. It hasn't been the best of seasons for Chelsea and it doesn't look like it's going to get much better. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been a season. That's about as good as I can say. But uh, we've got Man City coming up. I've I've given up hope already. Just stop Arsenal winning the title and it'll be a fine <laughs> season for me. Oh, yeah. I've, that's the way I've thought it to it now. You know, I was walking home. I was at Brentford West Ham on Sunday mm-hmm. and I was walking out of the stadium. I was walking back to um, the train station. Quite a bit of a walk away. And I was hearing the news that Arsenal were just kind of falling apart. And it was just really made my day, really made my season. You know, it's fine if my team are crap as long as they're falling apart as well so exactly. saving grace here as a Spurs fan um, we will talk about we, I think we should jump into Arsenal first and then we'll talk about it then the teams who dropped out of the rankings from last week Arsenal were in the top 10 they've dropped out completely they lost 3-0 at home to Brighton and I really did not think that was going to happen you know Brighton got beat 5-1 at home by Everton on the bank holiday it looked as if Arsenal might actually kind of rally back after beating Newcastle and get to 90 points, which was the maximum available, and at least, you know, push City to get to the highest possible tally. But that's not happened. They kind of fell apart, Tom. Yeah, I remember I was I was actually out when the game was on, and I, I just checked Twitter on my phone and saw people talking about how the title race was over, and I, I couldn't understand what was going on. So I checked the score, and to see 3-0, I, I couldn't even believe it. They just... Yeah, they've... I think they just ran out of steam. They obviously had a... They've been unreal for the majority of the season, but I, mm. I think now that the pressure's got on, you've got a young squad who just isn't used to being in this sort of situation. I, I think they just they haven't bottled it because City have been outrageous, but I think they just ran out of steam. Yeah, I think someone made the point to me or on Twitter like a week ago that they didn't necessarily bottle the title, but they kind of threw away the race where they could have made it really difficult for City. You know, if just if the team finishing second finishes on ninety points. You could, there is a sense of, you know, what more could they really have done? But it's been a strange way to end the season. I thought they'd really kind of overcome like a mental hurdle with that Newcastle win. I was so impressed with the way they played at St. James's Park. To throw it all away, they didn't really show a lot against Brighton. Um, I don't think Brighton were necessarily deserving of a 3-0 win, but definitely probably were the better team on the day. And it's just you just wonder why? Why did that kind of... Why did they flip back on themselves like that? Is it just... Like you said, like kind of the inexperience of the team. Did they not have enough cool heads? I don't, I don't think that 
Arteta has really helped in some cases. There's some strange substitutions once again, but they're really put to the sword by a Brighton side who <laughs> then, after losing 5-1 at Everton, would have lost 4-1 last night at Newcastle. Honestly, Brighton have been absolutely... It's, it's just I don't know how you can lose so badly a week after such a massive result. It's, but it kind of sums up it sums up Brighton, but it also sums up Arsenal. You never like at this point in the season, you're not really sure which which version of them is going to turn up. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, I think we should move on from Arsenal for one week. Uh, another team dropped out all the way out. They made they done so well to get back in last week into the top four, top three range. Real Madrid are out because I can't really excuse losing four nil in a second leg of a Champions League semi-final, especially in the manner in which they did. We'll come on to City and how brilliant they were later, but I was really taken aback by how just crap Real Madrid were. They did not seem to have any intention of trying to play, or going toe-to-toe with City. And it looked like the end of an era for some of their older heads. You know, Modric was given the run around. Cruz hit the bar, but I wasn't really impressed by him either. Karim Benzema couldn't even get into the game. It was really... Is that it? Is that the end of this Real Madrid run? For me, it's tricky because I think as much as as much as they were absolutely outplayed there, I think it could be the end for this Real Madrid team at that highest level of the game. I think obviously, even if Modric and Kroos have, have lost their legs, they're still going to be some of the best players in La Liga and they'll always be up there in the title fight. But when you come up against the, the creme de la creme like City and any of those other elite teams, we're, we're seeing how how they can be exposed, how they can be beaten and I mean, it's no surprise that you see Real Madrid looking for new midfielders. Like this again, mm, no disrespect yeah. to Modric and Kroos, but just time catches up with us all, isn't it? If they, yeah, they just don't look like they've right. got the legs anymore. Yeah, and bringing in Jude Bellingham, you know, those are the freshest legs you can <laughs> you can really exactly, buy. You know? yeah. So you know, and Chouameni, I think you know he hasn't had a great season, but I, it sounds like they're definitely kind of keeping faith with him. Um, Valverde, I don't think he was good in this game, but for most of the season, has been really good. He's really added goals to his game. And you look over Real Madrid's success in the Champions League in the last 10 years, it has been a lot about controlling the midfield battle. And you imagine they will be in safe hands moving forward with this kind of replenishing of that. But it does feel like the end. I don't, I've been quite wary because you will remember very well when your Chelsea side tore them apart in the Champions League semi-finals only two seasons ago, which feels a lot good longer. Times. But... Good times. <laughs> <laughs> feels a lot longer ago than two years ago, but they came bouncing back. Um, the season after so maybe they can do the same again maybe there is room for one more run but it's very hard if you're going to go against a Man City team like that I guess exactly the clock the clock's ticking on them I think got to be something big this summer if they're going to keep it going yeah um, also dropping out Milan um, just didn't really show a lot in their Champions League semi-final then, so I was quite disappointed um, you can maybe put that down a lot to Rafael Al got a big groin injury on the eve of the first leg and it kind of just completely derailed their game plan. He was rushed back for the second leg, just hoping to get something. They couldn't really get anything. But it really showed that they the alarming lack of depth in quality beyond him. Yeah, definitely. You could, you could see Leal was always going to start the game, whether he was fit or not. And yeah. You could see immediately that he just wasn't, he wasn't ready for it. He wasn't himself. And when he's not on... Milan really have to do something special and they just they just couldn't Inter, Inter just had their number it really as a Spurs fan it really annoys me that we just could not lay a glove on them in the last 16 mm-hmm. I, I don't even think it's even a case of trying to it's it's the sense that we couldn't, couldn't even get close like 
there was not a meaningful chance over those two legs, and it wasn't as if you know Liao in those two legs. I wasn't really that impressed by him, particularly in the in the leg that we were home for. He uh, just couldn't really break him down, and then you look at the way Inter just got them immediately last week. They fall apart as soon as the little bit of pressure was on them. Just really annoying, but you know. That is the history of Antonio Conte in Europe, I guess. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the final team to drop out this week are Atletico Madrid. Um, poor Jack isn't here to kind of mourn over Matt Doherty and the minutes that he didn't play. But they lost 2-0, I believe, at bottom side Elche. 1-0. 1-0, sorry. Have, um, you seen, have you seen the goal? I haven't seen the goal, actually. It's, it's, it's a good away. one. So uh, Oblak's out injured, so they brought in um, Gerbic in goal. Mm. Uh, Elche throwing big long one into the box. He comes out to claim it, just gets under it, flaps it to the Elche guy, just stood right behind him, <laughs> taps it into an open net, and he's just like, "What? How's that happened? <laughs> oh, no. Absolutely nowhere. Funniest goal. Uh, that's an extra ten mil on Jan Obek's price tag. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a real shame for Elche because they had actually had this second half of the season run, but you know they don't really have the European campaign to back up on their case, right, exactly. and I don't really mind dropping them out. So. <laughs> Yeah, we can move into the top 10. We have got a few new entries this week. And we start with the talk of the town right now. AS Roma, Jose Mourinho, another European final, back-to-back. They they knocked Bayer Leverkusen out of the semi-finals of the Europa League. They had one shot in the second leg to get a 0-0 draw. All Roma had to do was not lose, and that's exactly what they did. And I thought I was quite sceptical over the, some of the calls a few weeks ago when... There were people saying, oh, Mourinho's back. He's doing what he does. And I looked at the table and Roma had slipped to like sixth or seventh. And I was a bit like, eh, is he? But you see a result like that. You see a performance against a rookie manager like Xabi Alonso and Mourinho just doing a proper job on him. I guess there's something in him still. You can't argue with the results, can you? They've been, mm. Leverkusen were well and truly Mourinho. There's, when he When he gets it right, I don't think there is any stop in a Mourinho team because they are just impossible to break down. And when when their focus is so purely on defending like that, you you do struggle. Mourinho does know how to set a team up. You've got to give him that. He just couldn't do it against Dinamo Zagreb when their manager was in jail. And that, <laughs> there's, the story of this podcast, Tom, is I, I will sing praises about someone and I'll somehow manage to relate it back to Tottenham woes. That there is, the story there is the plenty universe. of Tottenham woes, so that's fine. Oh, we're not done on this list. <laughs> <laughs> um, it did get me thinking, um, because he has been linked a lot to the PSG job, Mourinho. And it, it doesn't really make sense in the case that they want to build a team around younger players. They, you know, they brought in Louis Campos, and it seems like even if Christophe Gaultier's job isn't safe, Campos is as kind of the sporting advisor may still be. They want to believe in that project. And then going for a manager like Mourinho doesn't really fit in with that. But if their ultimate aim is to win the Champions League and setting out a defence in the way that you know that Mourinho can and adding a bit of kind of steeliness to them, pedigree in Europe, which I think is a really important thing, and PSG just do not have that at all. It, does it make a bit more sense? Do you think that that's an offer that Mourinho would like to take? I think Mourinho might take it, but for me, I, I can't see why PSG would want him. And that's that's no... No disrespect to Mourinho, he's obviously he's doing his thing in Roma. But at the end of the day, I, I saw an interesting quote from uh, Tammy Abraham after the Leverkusen second leg, and he said this wasn't a striker's game. Mm. And like, you imagine telling Killian and Mbappe, 
<laughs> right, mate, you're going to sit back. You're not having a, you're not having a shot. 20-odd possession. You're going to enjoy that. Like, he, he just, he'd blow the team up, and that's that's the issue. Like, he might, he might win trophies, but he's not going to do it in the way, or he wouldn't do it in the way that PSG would want him to with the players who need to be the best in the world. Like, Mbappe, if Neymar's still there, he's not going to be doing a job at left wing back. <laughs> it just, it, it's a match that doesn't work for me, but... If they if their ultimate goal is just to win the Champions League, don't care how, don't care who. Yeah, maybe, but I feel like you don't spend that much money on a team and mm. intentionally annoy everyone involved. Yeah, we do have an Italian colleague in our London office, Alessandro, who's a Roma fan, and I was talking to him last week, and his his feeling on the situation was that if Mourinho can be promised kind of moving funds around, moving some players in and out, and they have a chance to go for the Serie A title next season. He thinks that he'll stay, and I think that's it's a possibility. They haven't been that good in the league since he joined, but you don't feel like they're far away. You look at Napoli this season; that kind of came from nowhere. Um, if Roma were to go on and win the Europa League, then they would have again that pedigree, and it would feel a lot more significant than their Conference League victory last year. No disrespect for the Conference League, but for Mourinho to do it again to rise through. These kind of different challenges. I think there was a the important wrinkle in this semi final was that, like Real Madrid, you know, they relied so much last year on being at home in the second legs to get over the line to like carve out those deficits. They weren't at the Olympico this time around. They had to go to Leverkusen. They had to go to this hostile atmosphere, which um, they had to suspend the match for a little bit because there was too much smoke and pyro for Roma to go there and pull off that result it does it would give you a little bit of confidence that you know if they were to win the final I don't think they're that far away from challenging the the rest of the big teams in Italy yeah, definitely definitely but I, I think Mourinho is enjoying being on a bit of a smaller stage a bit away, mm, I bit away too, from yeah. the spotlight yeah he's not got people constantly like oh what's Mourinho doing how's Jose doing that what's Jose <laughs> doing now like he's he just gets to do his own thing and obviously it's not in silence but it's a lot quieter than if you're at Man United Chelsea Tottenham whatever He's just enjoying almost, yeah. being able to be himself. Yeah, it's almost in this bubble because you have you remember the videos of when Paolo Dybala joined on the free transfer last summer, you know, the whole the city of Rome lined the streets, they had this big presentation for him. The conference league celebrations last year, the, the bus parade for the city by the Coliseum and stuff. It, it's a big club. You just don't hear about it on a continental scale. Exactly. So he kind of I think you, you're right, he probably does enjoy it because he's always loved being the underdog. You know, it wasn't really until he made Chelsea a team that was able to punch down that he really got to kind of a big club like that. He went to Real Madrid and it kind of faded away there. Eventually he lands at Spurs and there were signs for a little bit that it might go right, but it never felt like he was going to get the, the kind of players or I think it was a bit too negative with the way that he went about things. And I think he has actually learned from that at least in yeah, definitely. Roma. So fun little story at least. Exactly. Okay, we'll move on to number nine. A re-entry because I've had no reason to care about this team for a couple of months. Um, Bayern Munich are back. They've won three on the spin in the Bundesliga. They are in control of their own fate. They lead Borussia Dortmund by a point at the top. Though they do have RB Leipzig up next, which will be their final proper challenge this season. Um, interestingly, while Thomas Tuchel's come in, that's a big appointment for them. He couldn't quite get them over the hump in the Champions League against that rampant Man City team. A lot of the big names have been linked with a move away. Stadio Mane back to the Premier League. Um, seen Man United and Newcastle linked with him. Joshua Kimmich 
Yeah, quite interesting. There's a few whispers that he might be on the move. Barcelona seem like they might want to throw some players by it in his way. Alfonso Davis now seems perennially linked in that kind of Real Madrid circle. And once you're in that circle, the kind of Madrid legends, they start saying that, oh, yeah, he has Real Madrid DNA and stuff like that. Um, do you think this is a time for Bayern to kind of go on a rebuild? You know, if they say they were to win the league this season, it's 11 in a row. If they don't win the league, then it feels like almost more apt to kind of rip it up and start again. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one. I, I don't really think Bayern fully need a rebuild, but I think there is an awareness that the, there are a handful of positions that they could improve in. Mm. Obviously, like the defence, you say that in terms of a rebuild, you've got De Ligt, who's 23, Upa Meccano's 24, Davis 22. Like they've, they've got a squad that is ready to compete for the next decade, realistically. And then further forward, you've got like Musiala, Matisse Tell, but there is then those players like your your Thomas Mullers, your Nabries, Chupo Motting, as as good as he's been, is thirty four <laughs> and is also Chupo Motting. So <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's obvious positions that they need to bolster, and it's why they went for Mane last summer, and that just hasn't worked out. But I think there's there's scope to upgrade. We've heard that they're interested in Kai Havertz, and they can absolutely have him. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my next question, but fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, just a couple of players, a couple of fresh players up front. I think they, were, I think they could be back to themselves. Yeah, they more recently linked with Randall Kolomowani, who I absolutely adore. This guy, like I don't, I don't know, I'm not saying he's like a world beater. Um, Agent but, of chaos. Oh, he's just I love those strikers. You know, like just these fascinating footballers who managed to the, the carnage, the kind of wreck. You know, he came on in that World Cup final. And he has the chance at the end to win it for France. It's a really, really good save by Emmy Martinez, like one of the oh, best saves of all time. Yeah. But he just came on. He was doing so much. He always does so much. He has a good goal record as well. You just think, could he make that kind of leap up? Because Bayern have admitted they are going to go after a striker. The other main forward they have been linked with is Harry Kane. Doesn't seem like they are willing to part ways with the money that Spurs will want or get involved in the transfer saga. That seems to kind of be a running theme with the teams who are looking at Kane. Um, it's just a, it's just kind of weird era to think about buying. You think that for so long, you know, that you'd pencil them in for the Champions League semi-finals, and they haven't been there since they actually won it in 2020. And that was kind of like you know the handy flick team, the team that scored a million goals against everyone, including Spurs. There's the reference, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it just feels it's it's weird seeing them. I I actually thought bringing in Tuchel was a masterstroke, and I was really disappointed that he can find a solution quicker to deal with City. Yeah, I know. Maybe it, maybe it does actually speak volumes of the issues behind the scenes at Bayern, if there are mm. any. Because, yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought I thought Tuchel was the right man to come in and, and do something. And he, he absolutely worked the floor with them. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like Bayern, they're sort of in that same boat as Real Madrid in the sense that they've been so good for so long, but it's that same core. I know they haven't got the same like number of aging players, but if you look at like obviously they lost Lewandowski, Muller's now thirty-three. There's just those key players that are getting on in years, and I, I think inevitably the cycle does come to an end. Yeah, of course. Uh, moving on to number eight, a new entry, someone that we've been watching for a few weeks on this pod. Um, they've now won seven in a row, so it's really hard to ignore them. Liverpool are back. They are now one point behind Man United in the Premier League, though they have played one game more, and Man United's game in hand is against your Chelsea, so I'm not expecting Liverpool to close the gap there. Yep. Um, 
it seems like top four maybe a little bit too late. They've left the kind of run that they needed to go on just maybe a week or so too late. But it does remind a lot of people. This is not this is not an original thought at all. Um, it does remind a lot of people of when they clicked into gear at the end of the 2020-21 season, and you know they kind of they dropped from the first in the league down to ninth from like December to February. Then went on this big run again and managed to salvage top four on the final day, and obviously went into last season. And there were two wins shy of doing the quadruple. And it feels like people kind of forget the the, the toll that that's taken out of them, but also just in the insaneness. How like to be within two wins of winning the quadruple is unbelievable. And it feels like with you know Mane that went last summer, the midfield is going to undergo a, an overhaul. And I would back Liverpool to bring in the right players to play Klopp's way. They've been really linked with Alexis McAllister. Um, you'd think they'd bring in one more. I think Kaiser would be really good for them. I don't know if they're going to get him, though. Are they gearing up for another title challenge rather than just kind of staking a top four claim again? Yeah, yeah. I'm scared of Liverpool. You can, <laughs> you can see that they've put it together. It's, I mean, it's what everyone's been calling for for ages. Just give... Trent Alexander-Arnold, that bit of a push forward, a little bit more help defensively, yeah. just let him do his thing. And I know he's not been the focal point of this team, but his improvement kind of speaks volumes of the whole team. And if you just look at them, they, they look really, really impressive. And I mean, I wouldn't have thought Curtis Jones would be so important to it either, but <laughs> they, they, that's, that's, that's the thing. Klopp is just getting his players to perform as we know Klopp can. It's It looks like yeah. they've, they've put the the first half of the season behind them and they're back to being Liverpool. And if I they're going to Klopp... go out and spend money on more midfielders, a bit more depth or whatever, because they're scared that they, they've obviously seen what can happen if they take their foot off the gas. But if, if they bring in the right players, I'm, I'm genuinely scared, yeah. Mm. I think Klopp really needed the second half of the season as well because there was all the talk about <laughs> the seventh season syndrome or whatever it was. <laughs> they played him at Dortmund as well. They looked like they really couldn't defend for Toffee and they still can't really you know yeah <laughs> um, I think they probably need another kind of tweak there but the tactical tweak to kind of bring Alexander-Arnold in, in field more really kind of a master stroke and the, well, I think they actually the other big thing for me was that we were told throughout kind of from, from the summer window to the winter window when Cody Gakpo was linked with a move to England to Man United or Arsenal or Liverpool in the end um, he's not a number nine and he came to Liverpool and he's played almost exclusively as number nine. And it was just a bit... You, at first, you're wondering, why is he doing this? Because the first five or six games, he didn't impact the game at all. He was on the fringes. He was offering nothing. It's like, it feels like such a waste. And then over the last few weeks, he's kind of unlocked this other level. And he looks like the perfect Firmino replacement. And you are like, oh my God, they've actually done it again. Exactly, yeah. Like he's Gakpo's settled down into the team... And when you've got such quality either side of you, you've obviously got Salah, who's still having an unreal season, even though everyone yeah. seems to be forgetting yeah. about it. And then on the other side of him, you've got Diogo Jota, Luis Diaz, the chaos that is Darwin Nunez. <laughs> <laughs> In that same bracket as Colin Moani. Exactly, yeah. Like You just never know. But yeah, once when they get when they get everything together, when everyone's settling, they are a really, really good team. And I'd, I'd expect them to be climbing up this list before the end of the season. Yeah, Diaz for one for me. That's the one to look out for next season because so much of this year has been lost to the yep. injury that he had in the first half of the year. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him just fully recovered after another preseason. It's the same with, remember he came in 
um, to the Premier League at the same time as Kuluzewski. Um Spurs tried to sign both, and Diaz went to Liverpool and Kuluzewski went to Spurs, and it looked like it actually suited both pies. And they both, for largely injury reasons, haven't been as good this year. And I expect both will be among the league's top, top wingers next season. So, Yeah, agreed. Exciting to watch. Okay, moving up to seven, where Newcastle have moved up one spot. Um, it looked like they might have been falling again, you know. That was a really weird 2-2 draw at Leeds, really back and forth. Um, but they beat the Brighton side last night, which is much rotated, but you can only beat what's in front of you. Um, they now have a 94% chance of qualifying for the Champions League, according to Opta. I think that's done. I can't envisage... They got Leicester on Monday night. I imagine they're going to relegate Leicester then. And then they've got your boys at Chelsea on the last day. I can't imagine... <laughs> I can't imagine Chelsea getting much off them. So I think it's safe to say Newcastle will be playing Champions League football next season. What, how would you go about improving this squad? Because Nightman, we did a report a few weeks ago that the owners PAF are looking at Neymar. And I think it makes sense, at least from a how would you upgrade on Alan San Maximan kind of position in that if you could have one luxury player, you could probably you'd probably make it a winger. Um he probably would fit in quite easily. He's, you know, he's got Bruno Gemraish there, Joe Linton, another Brazilian. Newcastle seems like kind of you know, he's he's been in places where the football team is are largely the only team in the city, you know, Barcelona, Espanol don't really are not really a presence in that city. PSG are the only team in Paris. Newcastle the only famously the only team there. Big party city would be my worry. Um but where where would you look to add in where would you look to improve this Newcastle team in the summer? I think my thing for Newcastle I mean obviously you look at their starting lineup and at this in this last summer you could have picked holes in it left, right and centre, but how has got all those players performing really, really well. But my fear for Newcastle is the depth in the team. Because if you look at the bench that went out against Brighton, you've got the likes of like Paul Dummett, Javier Manquillo, there's a couple of <laughs> a couple of Academy kids. You've got Anthony Gordon, who I don't know what he's doing. Very strange one that, yeah. Yeah. So just the kind of thing like you've they've obviously got 11, 12, 13 players that Hal can really rely on and he's really getting a tune out of them. But when you're then playing those midweek games, if you're in the FA Cup Carabao at the same time, you need more than 13 players. And either they sign them this summer or that's where I think they'll come unstuck next year. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been really impressed by Callum Wilson's resurgence. I didn't think that he actually had more than a super sub kind of arc in him. I think I need to, let me just quickly double check because I believe he's on 18 or 19 goals for the Prem now after last night. He is on... 18. 18, yes. So only Erling Haaland, Harry Kane, Ivan Tony and Mo Salah have scored more than Callum Wilson. Really impressive. It's mad because you don't even realise that he's got 18. <laughs> he's just suddenly got 18. Yeah. What? He's the fifth highest scorer in the Premier League. Like, I, knew he was, I knew he was scoring goals, but that's that's mental. But I, I think he's it speaks volumes to him because obviously Alex mm. Isaac came back from injury. Yeah. And everyone yeah. assumed obviously club record sign and he's going to walk into the starting lineup and Callum Wilson said, well, well, hang on a minute. I can score goals in this league and he's exploded with it. I mean, Isaac's working perfectly next to him as well. They're just, everything seems to be clicking at St. James's and it's, it's another scary thing because they've obviously got the financial power. Mm, Yeah. It's whether they have that pull to the players from overseas who perhaps aren't that desperate to, to get any of the money or whatever, because Newcastle, I mean, I live there, so it's not the, <laughs> it's not the Costa del Sol or anything like that. It's you're going to struggle to get people to come over if they want that 
like the sort of London life or any, I mean, any form of warmth whatsoever, you're in the wrong place. Well, we've talked about it before in our Slack chats with Graham Bailey, who's our transfer correspondent. He's a Middlesbrough fan. Um, Brazilians do seem to take a weird interest in living in the Northeast for some reason. Why, why do you think that is? There's a decent steakhouse, Brazilian steakhouse. <laughs> it's, it's good. I can't fault it. I know Bruno came out. I know he's actually, he's actually been there. I think he took um, Tita there as well. But So, yeah, maybe that's it. Very good. It is, it is good. Can't deny. Uh, good inside scoop. This is why you listen to the podcast. We need to have you on more, more than Jack. Jack's not before. Jack provided me nothing from Derry, you know, so yes, yeah, I know you can't get stuff. scoops like that. Good steak. Yeah. Um, any soft spot for Newcastle from living there? I do, yeah. I always... I always like to keep an eye on them. I mean, annoyingly, as, as a Chelsea fan, every time Chelsea come up to St. James's, they get absolutely hammered. But just, <laughs> just living, living in the city, obviously, with the, with the stadium in the centre of the city, it, it, it's really infectious. Yeah, um, that's always it, the thing that I've kind of noticed from the outside looking at. Like, it would be cool, cool to, like, go for a weekend away in Newcastle on a weekend where they won a big game or something. Oh, it's great, yeah. Like on a on a match day, if you're just walking around town, even if you're not trying to involve in the football, you, you hear the chanting, you can hear the mm. celebrations when things are going, and then obviously when St James's spills out into the bars with their celebrating, it's it's next <laughs> level. Yeah, sounds class. Um, okay, I think that's enough Newcastle for one week. Let's move up to number six. We're moving up four spots. Racing Club de Lons got the pronunciation spot on this week. Yeah, um, nice. Now I've got eight wins from the last nine. They are six points off PSG in the title race. They are quite unfortunate that PSG haven't slipped up over the last couple of weeks because um, that could have been really tasty going into the final few games. Champions League qualification, automatic Champions League qualification, top two is in their own hands. And they put on a really amazing comeback against 10 men with 10, yeah, with 10 men last week against Will Steele's Reims. Um, they went down to 10 men about 18 minutes in, went behind. And they fought back. They did really, really well. There's a there's a Marseille fan that I follow that was watching the whole time and was uh, he was quite confident that Lons were going to screw up there and give Marseille a chance to go back in second. But it's a really kind of fun young team. We've t- we've talked on 90 Minutes on the website about some of the players that Premier League sides are watching. Um, Kevin Danzo, who was once of Southampton, once of Southampton and was sent off in this game, ironically, um, attracting interest. Lois Openda, their striker, fast young striker, attracting interest, but. I think it's just nice to have actually a story like this coming out of Ligue 1. You know, you think of the nonsense of PSG, the kind of the, the ethical stuff of PSG as well. It's nice that a young team, a kind of more of a homegrown team, a team that have dealt smartly in the transfer market and blended it with young players, that there's still room for them to be successful. Yeah, Ligue 1 is a lot of fun because... Aside from PSG, obviously, most of the teams are on somewhat of a level playing field. So you yeah, do you do yeah. get these stories where the teams are coming out of nowhere. And I know Lons have obviously been pretty good over the last few years, but they they kind of they're they're given the platform to explode because everyone is on that sort of level playing field. And if you recruit well, if you get your tactics right, you can get yourself up the league. And it's exactly what Lons have been doing. And as you say, Appenda. Him and uh, Seko Fafana have just been nominated for League One's Player of the Season. The yeah. manager was it Frank Heiser, I think. Yes, yeah, Frank yeah, yeah. He's he's manager of the season nominee as well, and it's all deserves because they've the the story from being 
from being in say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill of like just yeah over the last few years they've really really got themselves together and it's been outrageous yeah Seco Fofana is so much fun to watch I, I, mm. I think Lanza might have shot themselves in the foot here by being so good because they've brought eyes <laughs> to these to these players that they've kind of been hiding from the rest of the world yes but, I am I making this, are the Lons the team that beat Arsenal at Wembley all those years ago when Arsenal had to play Champions League games at Wembley because they couldn't do it at Highbury no, it won't hey, be. You think? No, Lons were were second tier a few years ago, weren't they? Yeah, but I, th- I think they bounced back. I'm going to quickly check. I want to I want to show off my knowledge to. to <laughs> <listeners>. <laughs> um, but they, you're right. They they have only they've come big again in recent years, and very much credit to them because they are from a small town. Lons is not a big place, you know. They're very they're near Lille. Lille are the rivals, and they've won um, league on a few times over the recent years. So. Completely fair enough to him. Um, I can't actually find it. There's no record of it anywhere. But okay, that's enough. I'll have to look like an idiot for our audience. Now. <laughs> oh well. What do you make of Heiser? Have you seen? Do you know much of him? Because obviously he's getting linked to getting linked to Spurs. I, yeah, I've always seen him linked. He, I think he was linked to Southampton earlier this season. Like he's always mm-hmm. been linked to the kind of the mid-table clubs, but you come second in the league and with a team like that, I think there's very much you're doing something right. It's, it feels like. He's on a similar kind of trajectory that Gaultier was on. You know, he won the mm-hmm. league arm with Lille. He went to Nice last season and, and they started really well. They fell away a bit, but I think that was because he knew that he was going to be the man to take over at PSG. Um, there's a there's a job coming for him for sure. There will be... It's, it feels like one where if Brighton were to lose to Zerbi, and I imagine they will in the near future, then I can imagine them kind of just throwing this money at him because yeah. they're quite... They're, no, I won't say that they're they're rich, rich, but they they seem to not care about net spend a lot of Brian. So I think there would be money there to throw them. Absolutely, yeah. But I mean, if he does go to Spurs, he, he loves a wing back. So Emerson, Royale, Remontada. <laughs> uh, I've had I've had enough about wing backs. <laughs> We're playing three at the same time right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's move on to number five, a new entry, Sevilla, one that's been on our watch list for a while. So this is their record in all competitions since April 1st. Win, draw, draw, win, 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 loss, win, draw, win, win. They are completely out of relegation trouble, our league. They could still finish as high seventh. They're only a point of seventh, which would um, guarantee Conference League football. But they are into the Europa League final. Winning that would ensure Champions League football. And it's been this kind of complete turnaround. You know, it was for so long, it was our Sevilla too big to go down. And probably yeah, but they're now into the final. They beat Juve in extra time last night. My boys, Brian Hill assisting Eric Lamella for the winner. Very much <laughs> finally some good news out of Spurs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they've really come a long way. And this is what Sevilla do in the Europa League. I feel it does. I tweeted it last night. It does feel like Roma versus Sevilla is like the most typical Europa League final imaginable. Oh yeah, it screams Europa League. Yeah. <laughs> And a lot of it's been due to um, the incoming coach, Jose Luis Mandilabar. He 
his last job was at Deportivo Alves last season. He left. He came in to clean up the mess that Jorge Sampaoli had left. Um, in 12 games, he's won eight of them, drawn three and only lost one. You can't ask for much more than that. No, it was a it was a brave hire because yeah. say, his last job was Alaves. I think he left them bottom of the table. He did. There was nothing really to say that he <laughs> that he'd done any good there. He was at a bar for a long time, and he did a really good job there. He led them into La Liga. He kept them. They were always a punchy team. They played at this small five thousand capacity stadium in the north of Spain. They re- they always did really well, but couldn't translate Alaves. And yeah, Sevilla took this part on him, and now he's knocked Man United and Juventus out of Europe. Yeah, I think. His selling point is really the fact that he just he can't really be bothered with all the shenanigans of being a manager. It seems like <laughs> you'll see him in press conferences. He, yeah, you'll see him in press conferences. He's just like players are being stupid. I hate this about our game. I hate this about the opponents. He's just he doesn't pull any punches. And I imagine he's gone into Sevilla and just gone right. Let's just sort ourselves out. We are good footballers. Let's calm down and just start doing the basics properly. Stop stop trying to make everything look good. And they've just gone back to basics and absolutely figured it out. This sounds like the opposite of what a San Pierre coach is. So exactly, yeah, it has really worked for them. them. That's all they needed last night. You know, Suso scores a screamer, and then um, Brian Hill's cross for Lamela just just bloody head it in. Exactly, it's an easy it's really game. Isn't it? it's, yeah, really good header to be fair. What makes me laugh about Sevilla though? If you look at centre back, they've got Loic Bade there who joined <laughs> Nottingham Forest on yeah. and couldn't get a game, and is now a starting defender for a Europa League finalist. Like, I, I, yeah. can't, I can't understand what, what happened to him at Forest because he's he's always looked good. He's another former Lens guy, was good at Rennes. Mm. And now here he is shining at Sevilla. And this is what everyone expected of him when he went to Forest. Yeah. So I don't know what happened there. It's a weird team because they have kind of these veterans like Rakitic has come back. Um, Navas is still there. Navas did not stop running last night. Couldn't believe that. Um, Pepe Gomez, of course, is still there. They got guys who kind of were tipped for big things when they're younger who didn't quite make it, like Lamella. Um, Oliver Torres is there. Lucas Ocampos has come back. Um, Suso, like I said, scored the goal. He's had a really good career for himself, to be fair. And Naziri has found another level since um, that run with Morocco at the World Cup. And they always do this in Europa League. This is their heritage. So I think there must have been a kind of a feeling about it. You know, remember the big displays for the second leg in the quarterfinal against Man United, it felt like Sevilla knew, like, we're not we're not afraid of this occasion. It was the same last night against Juventus. Yeah, regardless of what's going on in the Liga, I think they say we, we want the Europa League. This is our trophy. Yeah. And they're on they're on the way to getting it. Yeah, it does feel like if any team is going to stop Mourinho from winning in a European final, it's going to be the kings of the Europa League themselves. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> it's all adding up now. Okay, moving on to number four, up one place. Touched a bit on them earlier. It's Borussia Dortmund pushing Bayern all the way. They beat uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach 5-2 at the weekend. They need Leipzig to really get a result this weekend. Or I, I can't imagine that Bayern will slip up from there on in, but they're doing all they can. They are not letting up. And like we talked about some other teams on this podcast, that's all you can really do. If you do your stuff, you, could, you just got to hope that everything falls into place elsewhere. Yeah, the issue is they they were in the position where they, they were had, yeah. they had this in their hands and then they did <laughs> let up and now Bayern are back in and I mean yeah, six six nil against Wolfsburg, five two against Gladbach. They've mm-hmm. they've obviously figured it out, but yeah. When you're up against a team like Bayern, you can't afford those little slip ups. But 
they've 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 figured it out. They're they're back on they're back on track. But yeah, and you never know what you're going to get from Bayern. Realistically, they might mm. they might have one Bayern. of those weeks. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, have, did you see the penalty incident of the game that they didn't win? No, did not. Well, so we I talked about it with Jack at the time when it was I think it was three or four weeks ago now, but they drew one one away at Bochum, local mm-hmm. rivals. Um, in the last minute, the ball comes across through the box, and a Dortmund attacker. I can't remember who the Dortmund attacker is, but his legs get swiped, and it is the most obvious foul you'll ever see. <laughs> and the DFB had to write to Dortmund and say, "We're sorry, that was a penalty." Whoops! And they didn't. They didn't um, dig out the referee too much and the implication of that was because it was such an obvious error that the VAR should have picked it up instead. <laughs> so I mean, if I mean, it's right, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Dortmund don't win the league and if it's only by one point or two points, I think that is going to be a massive thing in Germany for the rest of the, their existence because I, my head would be on Mars if that was to do with Spurs. Oh, and yeah, I, I, I would not. You know, imagine if that happened over here. Arsenal fans would be lining up outside PGMOL. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for Dortmund. I would like to see them win the league. It'd be nice if that's the way that Bellingham signs off before he goes to Real Madrid. A nice little chapter to his fairy tale story. I think what I'm most excited about with Dortmund is how they replace Bellingham because they always seem to be able mm. to pluck these pluck these young future stars. Uh, obviously, they've got Adiemi, you've got mm. Marlon, you've got Mukoko on the bench. Yeah, and if you've got a hundred odd million off Bellingham, how are you? How are they going to invest that? Who are they? Who are they going to pluck out and turn into a superstar? That's yeah, that's what I'm most looking forward to. I love it seeing them because yeah. their transfer strategy is is so much fun to watch, and just who they who they're going to go for is, is so interesting. We touched on it earlier about buying the big players that might leave there. I think Dortmund should view it as as not just as who are the young players we can bring in, but also we we are good enough to go. And try and win the title next season. We're done being just the second best team. We're done being kind of that destination for the young players. We could also bring in players who are ready. And we did report on 90 minutes a couple of weeks ago that they were one of the German teams looking at Granit Xhaka. It looks like he's going to go to Bayer Leverkusen instead. But I thought that was actually, that might have been a bit of a shrewd bit of business because you think about how much better he looked at in Germany before he came to the Premier League. Only just now has he managed to actually figure out how to be a really, really good, impactful Premier League player. That would have actually been a really good bit of business, I thought, if they were to actually pick him up. Yeah, true. Maybe that's maybe that's the thing. Maybe they do need that that well, I was gonna say that old composed head, but I don't really know Jack is, <laughs> Jack is really the man for that. <laughs> uh, actually, actually, maybe it's not a good thing. <laughs> Someone with some experience, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe that but is they, what they need. They'll have enough money to do both, I guess. Exactly but, true, but you're right. It is quite, it is quite fun just kind of seeing who do they kind of identify because you must have thought there must have been a lot of people in Germany wondering why the hell are we signed this kid from Birmingham City back in 2020. Honestly, yeah, was... and, and wondering why are they retiring his number. He's like, he's like 14 years old. <laughs> okay, well, they're not getting his younger brother though, Job, on his way to Sunderland. No, he's going to Sunderland. But that's a good move for him. Um, yeah, don't mind it. team with good young young players. Yeah, not quite the same ballpark as Dortmund, but you know. No, maybe a few, a few <laughs> more things needed before they get into this list. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's move up to number three, and we have our the only champions of this list. We did talk about Napoli a few weeks ago, but the only champions in this current list, FC Barcelona. 
Campeones. Exactly. Um, they secured La Liga with a four-two win. Espanol. Yep. I got that one right. Yeah. See, I do. <laughs> I do know my football. Um, I was actually kind of disappointed in this game that they're trying their best to let go of their goals conceded record. They're now they've now conceded thirteen and thirty-four. What's going on, Barca? Did you see Stegen's face when he conceded the second? No, but I can... <laughs> was he fuming? Absolutely fuming. <laughs> That's good. I, uh, growing up is like appreciating. Obviously, you're a Chelsea fan, so you'll probably kind of have defended this your whole life. But growing up is appreciating um, Chelsea's 0405 record mm-hmm. where you conceded. Was it 15 goals? Yeah, I think so. 15, 16. Yeah. Just, just like you, you think about that. You just like you marvel at. It. You're like, how do you? How do you keep like such a record? Um, Stegen was also denied moving level with the clean sheets record in La Liga history. You imagine he will get it over the last four games, but yeah, a little bit annoying for him. But you know, Barcelona have done what they needed to do this season. Real Madrid put a lot of their eggs in the Champions League basket and they failed. I was saying on here last week, I wasn't too impressed by Real Madrid's performance in the Copa del Rey final either. So I think it's good for Barcelona they were at least able to capitalise and win La Liga you know they haven't won one in four years so it was good to kind of get over that hurdle and we t- I talked about with Jack in the last couple of weeks it feels weird that they're going after Messi in a non-nostalgic way I know he's still he showed at the World Cup he's still really good but I think the arrow is trending downwards I don't think he's going to have the same fire in his belly to deliver for Barcelona I think that was more of a kind of a lifestyle decision and going back somewhere where he's loved more than, as much as it is kind of a sporting one. I was re- I'm really confused why they're moving heaven and earth to bring him back. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of sentiment to it obviously, but I don't yeah. mind it from a from a sporting standpoint as well because if if you watch Barcelona and I know they've just scored four goals, but <laughs> they they're not the most like devastating attacking unit. They I mean obviously they've they've what tied the record for most 1-0 victories in a La Liga season. I think that's right, yeah. Because they they do struggle against those teams that that are prepared to sit back, and I think they are lacking that sort of elite creator in the mould of a, a Xavi or an Iniesta. So I don't I don't mind Messi. I think if he comes back, if he might, he's probably going to play in that central role, maybe behind behind Lewandowski, or even if he starts on the right, he's probably going to be drifting around as he always does. And I think he just gives you that extra that extra sort of ma- magician that you need to get through those those tough defenses. So I, I actually don't mind it at all. Fair enough. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say you're wrong to bring back the best player ever. But <laughs> how could you? Ever <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> um, you're right. They have kind of laboured through a bit of these games, and it, I think the next level is to punish teams a bit more. Um, I, I always kind of say the be- the very best teams do tear you apart, like Man City, like Liverpool. Um, the last few years on the clock, they do tear you limb from limb. They don't just kind of leave you thinking you can get back into it. So exactly, yeah. Even when you helps them do play... that, even if it's one year. Exactly, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think when you when you play Barcelona, even if they are comfortable in the game, there's always that route in. You just need one one misplaced pass, one lucky counter, even just yeah. an own goal or something, and and you're back in a game that you have no right to be in, really. So I think you need someone like Messi, but I'm just worried what it means for the rest of the squad and particularly former Chelsea target Rafinha, who I <laughs> absolutely do not want to see sacrifice to Stamford Bridge so they can get Messi back. You wouldn't take you wouldn't take Rafinha? Half of it's because he so blatantly turned Chelsea down last summer. Oh, I mean, it, you can't be 
No, no, I'm petty. I'm, I'm being petty about it. <laughs> if you don't, the thing is, Chelsea have had so many players who quite obviously just can't really be bothered. So we don't need to spend, what, 70-odd okay, million yeah. on someone who's going to come in openly saying, I didn't really want to be here in the first place. So you mean can... Yeah, okay. <laughs> <That was>, Touche. <laughs> I do like Rafinha, but I, the thing that was concerning for me was that you read the reports at the time. It did seem like kind of concrete that Tuchel had him in mind to play a wing-back. I guess that yeah. I guess it would have been fine because Tuchel wasn't going to last that long anyway, but... Rafinha at left-back under Graham Potter. Oof. Oh. Scary. What is he cooking? <laughs> I was impressed by Lewis Hall at left back last week. I will say that. I was at Stamford Bridge for that one. Did look good. Got a while until Chelsea get into these lists. <laughs> <laughs> Been nowhere near. I was contemplating with Jack. We should do like a bottom 10. We should I do say that. Are they in the top 100? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe only just. <laughs> Opt to do a good uh, um, like European power rankings, like a thousand, ten thousand teams, like for all the divisions. I'm wondering where they are on that. But yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't like to think about it. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's move up to number two, down one, which is quite harsh, but there'll be obvious reasons for this. Inter, who they booked their place in the Champions League final, a very professional one 0 win against Milan in the second leg, three 0 in aggregate. They did what they needed to do. Milan didn't really have much of a sniff. Lotaro Martinez killed the game late on. And I think there's a, this was going to happen either way, depending on who went through. Like people will say, oh, they are worthy finalists. They have these kind of tools to go all the way. Um, I do understand why people will say this is probably one of the weakest teams to have got to a Champions League final in recent years. But it's something that I think from the very first podcast that we did, we said that there was this roadmap for Inter to get here, despite not playing too well for two thirds of the season. You know, they are a very good cup team. Simone Inzaghi is famously a really good cup manager. They have been the better team in their Champions League ties. There's not really much you can say otherwise about that. They came through the group of death with Barcelona. They knocked Barcelona out. Um, They went into this game maybe slightly as underdogs. This tie story is underdogs because Milan had wowed people with that Napoli win. No one thought they were going to beat Napoli. People kind of wrote Inter off just saying like, oh, there's going to be another victim to this Milan team who figured it out and it, they did a number on them and I've been really impressed by what I've seen and you can't imagine that Inter are going to go all guns blazing at Man City in the final but they showed that they're not going to be pushovers at least Yeah, it seems like Inter almost enjoyed being the underdogs for this for this tie, mm. they said, go on then, you, you think you've got our number, we'll show you what we're all about and you look, yeah, you've got Lautaro up top having, I think statistically now, his best season in Europe, which is yeah. mental when you think of how slow he was starting off. The, the World Cup as well. I can't get the World Cup games out of my mind how bad he was in them. Like Argentina, for the most part, were amazing, but he was just... He came out of that final and he was he was awful. It's just like, what? I think, I think what worries me about him is he feels like he's almost too much of a system player. But if you're at Inter and you've mastered that system, you're going to get mm. success. And that's that's what he's getting at Inter now. He's He just seems perfect for the team. He's The ideal is the as the little man in the striker duo, he's just got it. He's got it figured out, and Inter seem to know how to play to his strengths, and they're they're reaping the rewards now. Like all over the all over the pitch, you're getting performances from people who are just stepping up at the right time, and it's it's fun. It's been fun to watch. It has been. Do you think Do you think Lukaku was a plan for Man City in the final? <laughs> I'd be, <laughs> it'd be lucky if he plays. <laughs> yeah, I can't. He might he might come off the bench. Oh yeah, a few minutes think... at the end, but. <laughs> 
You, think, you don't think he's going to come back to Cobham with a Champions League medal around his neck first day of preseason? I'll be fuming if he does. Would, <laughs> you, would you, you? So you wouldn't take him back? I don't know. It, it's a tricky one because if he if he can get Lukaku firing, he, he is one of those few players who can claim to be among the best strikers in the world. Mm. But half of the issue, I think, is the the relationship he has with Chelsea that he destroyed with that interview. <laughs> So it's a strange got, interview. Yeah, so he's automatically having to win over fans. He's not coming there with support saying, go on then, we'll see what he can do. He's, if he doesn't score a hat-trick in his first game back, he's going to get booed. He's going to get like, he's going to get just criticised left, right and centre. I just don't think it's it's right. I think he probably should stay at Inter because he's, he's the big man to Lautaro's little man. I know Dzeko's doing it at the minute, but Lukaku's also got that role figured out. They just They, they just seem like a team that has the right players for the right system and they shouldn't really be broken up. I will say this. I think if the game is tight later on and if Lukaku is to come off the bench rather than the start, I don't think the Man City defenders are going to want six foot three Romelu Lukaku running at them and running beyond them because I don't think they're just going to enjoy that at all. I wouldn't enjoy that. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. but It's probably, it's probably like the... Inter's ideal team to face against because Man City at no point are going to shut up shop like that. There's always going to be space to attack. Yeah, true. It's, it's not like a one nil sit back thing. They'll they'll go one nil up and then try and get the next one and the next one even to the last minute. They won't sit back and that that is ideal for someone like Inter. They'll go flying forward with wing backs. You've obviously got Lautaro up top who's fast and a nightmare when he starts running at you. You've mm. got Onana who plays pretty much as a central midfielder from goal. Like they've they've got I think they have got the, the setup needed to beat Man City. It's just doing so is a totally different different debate. Yeah. yeah. Just before we move on from Inter, you mentioned there um Andre Onana. Would he be your top goalkeeper choice? Oh it's a tough one because there's there's not a whole lot of options out there at the minute. If you look at like Chelsea's options, you've got like David Raya and Robert Sanchez and none of them really <laughs> really doing it for me, Robert so, Sanchez. You can't get a game with Brighton. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not taking. If we, Brighton starters haven't done a job for us, I can't have Brighton's reserve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very good point. So um, it probably is Onana by default. Which, I mean, it's, it sounds disrespectful to him because he's he's been he's been incredible this season. He's an he's, accomplished he's, goalkeeper. Yeah, and he's yeah, true. He, he can save shots, which is <laughs> big upgrade. Would would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> goalkeeper with arms. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Um, yeah, you know what? If you want to take Onana, and I'll take David Rea with me to Spurs, I think that'll be that suits all parties. Yeah, happy to happy to agree to that one. Brentford will obviously think... sign someone for about five million who is better than Rea. Yeah, we there. It sounds like they're going after a player called Mark Flecker from Freiburg. Freiburg he's a yeah. he's an Netherlands international. And I asked the Dutch guy in our office about him, and he said, "I have no idea who that is." So always <laughs> promise, always promising. Sounds like um, a perfect bright Brentford player. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so good luck to Inter in the final. Um, up to first place, it has to be Manchester City, who undoubtedly the best team in the world right now. Huge favourites to win the Champions League final. It looks like the treble was more likely to happen than to not happen. Do you think, though, is this the best version of Pep Guardiola's Man City? This version... Yeah, I think so. I think they've got that little bit of everything. I think there's a, a common misconception about Pep's teams that they're all just pass, 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 pass. But yeah. this this City team just bully you. 
Yeah. They physically will just run you into the ground. And I think that's why they got so clear of Real Madrid because they said, come on then, old men, try and keep up with us. And they just pressed them into oblivion. There was physicality, there's energy, just constant. And you can't match that, especially when they have also got the outrageous quality on the ball. I think they've just got everything. And as you can see in the the run they're on at the minute, like Grealish said the other day, he, he thinks they they might be unstoppable at home. And I, you can't really disagree with them at this point. Yeah, it does feel like there's, there is this extra level that they've kind of unlocked. And it, it feels... It's just... I, I, I was not shocked that they won 4-0. I, I wasn't saying I was expecting it, but I felt... If you said before the match, City game with 4-0, I'd be like, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, um, yeah. And the, the impressive thing that I took from that semi-final against Real Madrid was that they properly roll reversal Real Madrid in the... I, I tweeted last week when Real Madrid took the lead, when Vinicius scored that banger, you know, Real Madrid are the Champions League team. You, you can think that you've got them figured out, but you have to kind of cut their head off to know that they're fully dead. And City did that to them instead. Real Madrid should have killed that tie when they were in the ascendancy in the second half, either side of the De Bruyne goal. But they couldn't do it. And then City made them pay. They were so, so dominant. The Etihad is, you know, by halftime, people were saying, is this their best ever performance? That's how good they were. So I can't really argue with it. I think this is probably a best ever side. It's not. It might not show up in the kind of the Premier League table, but the end with the treble, you can't really argue with it. I would have liked to see if you were like combining like the players from like the different eras. I think the two players that I would like to see most in this team would be the seventeen eighteen versions of Leroy Sané and Raheem Sterling as the wide players. Oh yeah. Because they were like that before this season. That was my favorite Premier League team like I've ever, I've ever seen. You know, mm-hmm. speaking of Spurs boys, I was there when we lost four one at the Etihad <laughs> that season, and it was um, along with Messi destroying us a season later at Wembley. That was the best I've seen an individual play um, when Kevin De Bruyne played us that day. It felt like he was playing foosball on a table, and he was just picking the foosball table up and rolling the ball around wherever he wanted <laughs> to go. That's what it felt. It was just like. How can someone have complete control of a game like that? But this City team just looked way more formidable. You know, you imagine if they were the wide players, they were the wingers who can come inside and out. They've got Haaland in the middle. They've got this version of De Bruyne who has managed to kind of stave off the injury woes we thought that might plague this part of his career. He's, you know, he's being rested a lot more. It means that he can go out and just have complete control over these ties. And they're formidable. And you don't really know how they're going to upgrade on it, apart from the fact that. It looks like Gundogan's going to go to Barcelona. It looks like Bernardo Silva might leave as well. It feels like now it's just how do they replace them? That's the hope yeah. that the other teams in the league have got to have. <laughs> There's a good debate though. Like, do you think Man City of 2022-23 will be the best team in Premier League history? Because I was thinking this, and I think this current form of them, yes, but this current form has only been half the season. Yeah. And while it's probably been one of the best half seasons we've ever seen, you can't forget the first half where they were trailing to Arsenal. They were well behind Arsenal. And they, were just, they were experimenting and dicking around, you know. Yeah. I have a group chat where the rolling joke is that um, they started winning when they just stopped trying to give Rico Lewis minutes for as good as he is a talent. It's just, <laughs> just like, okay, let's put the let's put the big boys in. John Stones, you're going into midfield. Um, 
And then, then you know, you had the old saga as well. Oh, Kyle Walker isn't good enough to play in the team, and he comes and he completely yes, he shuts down Vinicius <laughs> Junior. <laughs> it's just like what? He's the best winger in the world. Yeah, it's just like uh, you know, it's, a, it's part of a wider conversation. You know, the way that City have got their money and 115 charges is against them or whatever. But I always say, if you're gonna financially dope, and I said this about Chelsea all those years ago, at least they're kind of playing good football in the way they're not seeding possession or anything like that. They're actually going out and they are breaking the records. Like, you look at PSG, like what what a clown show it is over there. Like good god. And it yeah. should be probably a warning to Man United fans that if they were, if the Qataris were to win the bids to take over, it, having all that money is not guarantee of success. Yeah, it's not as easy as City are making it look right now. Yeah, yeah, and you are right about the, the kind of how would they rank. I think winning the treble has to that will have to be the thing that elevates them because you, who are the teams that always get put into that debate? It's always the United treble team, Arsenal Invincibles, Chelsea are four or five. And then Man City Centurions. Man United would not be in that debate if Solskjaer doesn't score that goal, if Sheringham doesn't score. Yeah, very true. That. Because there was a, what was it? They had 80 points around that mark. Um, yeah, again, like like, the league was different, different eras, blah, blah, blah. But it wouldn't be remembered the same way if they did win it. So if, if this is the Man City team that like, get over the European hump, because that's a, a major hump for them. You know, you look at the, the stupid exits they have, and they, they might still have one more in them. They might find a way to lose the winter. <laughs> <laughs> we can't write that off. But if they finally get through it, if they finally pull it all together in the season, and the only thing that stops them winning everything is Nathan Jones, then honestly, cannot believe that we are looking at Nathan Jones as the man who stops Man City winning the quadruple. He's been doing the rounds this week in the media as well. <laughs> yeah, but just it, it doesn't make sense to me how like this City team is so good, and yet probably one of the worst managers in Premier League history can sit there and say, well, I beat them. <laughs> and obviously there were, it was a bit of a weak inside, but they threw on the big guns at the end in that, in that Carabao Cup game against Southampton and Nathan Jones' side still beat them. And yeah. I don't think I'll ever get over that. that I don't think I'll ever come to terms with Nathan Jones being the saviour of modern football. Yeah. <laughs> as much as he's always promised that he was. <laughs> he was right, you know, he was onto something. Maybe yeah, I don't Maybe Southampton might stayed up, you know. Maybe if they just give him more time. <laughs> uh, a, what a character, honestly. Every every Premier League team should like have a spell of Nathan Jones. I, or like, if you're if you're bottom of the league for more than four weeks at a time, you're you have to draft in Nathan Jones for a few weeks, and that's going to be punishment <laughs> for not sorting out. You're going to get forced it upon you. So, no, I'm I'm at a point where I'll I'll take a take a proven manager, please. No, no, no fun anymore. Just someone who knows what they're doing. You don't, yes, you don't think Todd Bowie's looking over there? He's like, oh yeah. Jones, yeah. Oh no, Nathan, do you have a plan for me? No, yeah, you, you're good. You 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 won that <laughs> that, that one game, and we can't be see. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Get him in for the weekend. There you go. Inter, make the call. <laughs> Get him in. <laughs> who is Inzaghi? Uh, sure. Ah, okay. I think we're done for the day. Got through that nicely. Yeah, it's been good fun talking about good football teams for once. I know, it's very it's great release, isn't it? <laughs> <Very> freeing, yeah. <laughs> ah, thank you for coming on, Tom. It's been a pleasure to have you. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh thanks for listening, everyone. If you haven't subscribed and left a rating, please do. It really helps us a lot. And I'll see you next time, by which I assume Jack will return from his pissed up side. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.